Welcome to the Hospitality Forward podcast with listeners in more than 160 countries worldwide. My name is Hannah Lee. I am president and founder of Hannah Lee Communications, an award-winning global PR agency specialized in hospitality and travel. And I'm Michael Anstendig, editor-in-chief of Hannah Lee Communications, as well as the award-winning co-author of The Japanese Art of the Cocktail and The Food and Beverage Writer. Helping the community has always been part of our agency's mission. We understand that a lot of business owners, bartenders, chefs, sommeliers, and others might not have the resources to hire a PR agency. We believe everyone has a story to share, so we created our podcast where our listeners can get to know leading reporters and writers and start building relationships. Each week, these top journalists from around the globe share their practical advice on how hospitality and travel industry professionals can be featured in their stories. In fact, one of our loyal listeners got featured in the New York Times after listening to our podcast and following our media guest tips. So, you could be next. In addition, we give away a copy of our agency's book, The Japanese Art of the Cocktail, to a listener who shares how our podcast helped them tell their story to the media. Simply email us at hello at hanaleecommunications.com, have hospitality forward in the subject line, and share the tip that you learned. And now, on with the show. In this episode, we're delighted to chat with John Kell. John is a New York-based freelance writer who contributes to Fortune, Fast Company, and Business Insider. He covers a wide range of topics from beverages to technology to DEI and sustainability. Previously, John worked as an on-staff reporter for Fortune, The Wall Street Journal, and Dow Jones Newswires, where he covered food and beverage, retailers, restaurants, and apparel makers. Hi, John. Welcome to the show. So great to see you. Great to see you. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So, John, you studied journalism in college. Was being a reporter always your dream? It was. Well, in high school, it started to become my dream. I started to think about, I really took a lot of, I took a lot of English classes in, in high school. Every English elective that was offered at my high school, I took. And so I knew I wanted to do something in English, but I wasn't sure what direction. And it felt like at the time, journalism was a more safe career than trying to be like an author or some sort of creative writing endeavor. Um, this is obviously before like the internet changed <laughs> how we all consume news today. But um, studied journalism in college and worked at the school newspaper and then jumped right into my career after that as well. You started off as an on-staff reporter for outlets like Fortune and the Wall Street Journal and Dow Jones. And now you're a freelance writer. So why did you make the switch? Yeah, in 2017, after over 12 years at different national publications, I kind of decided to, to pivot into PR. So I worked at an agency in here in New York, and then I worked at Chobani, the yogurt company, for three and a half years. But I always kept writing on the side as a freelancer. I, I was fortunate that my jobs allowed me to continue to be a writer. And it was very sporadic, but um, I left my last PR job that was like my last full-time job. And I just decided to embrace freelance and do more writing. I still do some PR and comms work too, but I just really missed writing and wanted to amp up the amount of time that I was giving to my writing. So I've been really fortunate to, to be back in the industry a bit. So as a freelance writer, what topics do you cover? 
Lately, I've been writing a lot about AI, artificial intelligence, but I've always looked for any story or opportunity where I can cover more hospitality. So I have written about the travel industry. Um, I've been writing a little bit about liquor companies and AI. Um, I wrote a story about gin for Fast Company that published. So I really am looking at a lot of different like feature stories, I would say, that are unique, that haven't really been covered much by national outlets that would be interesting to the audience to read. So you're you're writing for Fortune and Fast Company and Business Insider. How do you think the audiences differ for each of those publications? And how in turn do you kind of tailor your stories to their voice? Yeah, so it's interesting because um, the top editor at Fortune actually came from Insider. So I think there's some um, migration of trends that Insider used to cover that Fortune's now covering. It's changed for sure. The magazine still does tend to go for that older reader that's more business C-suite focused. So I think a lot of the print stories, although there are fewer of them each year, are still very focused on that audience. But the website certainly skews younger. And I think it's a lot about business or business curious readers. Fast Company certainly has a little bit more of like a design, sustainability, lifestyle kind of component to its coverage, but also with like a business background. And then I think Business Insider, it really looks at like the personality behind the stories. So unique stories from individuals and then kind of amplifying their their insights in the coverage. Like you, Mike and I are huge fan of all things AI and its potential to transform how we work and live. That's that's absolutely right. And uh, you wrote a great story for Fortune on how AI is being embraced by major corporations who are seeing it as having an impact as big as the Industrial Revolution or the Internet. So given your, your expertise in AI... How do you see it reinventing the hospitality and travel industry? And what do you see as its potential to change the way bartenders, chefs, sommeliers, and hoteliers do their jobs? Yeah, it's a great question. I think it's going to change a lot of um, the functions that are, for now, I think it's going to really change a lot of the functions that are are more behind the scenes. So like if a restaurant does food um, ordering online, they might use AI to empower like recommendations. So we're seeing some larger restaurant chains do that. And I think smaller chains might do that down the road. You might see some development in the product launches or product development in like a, a liquor brand may look at AI to kind of figure out what sort of consumer flavor trends are coming up. Or we're seeing Diageo experiment with package design using AI for that package design. Early days for that, but definitely they're experimenting on it. So it may change a lot of how consumers interact with these brands or even how they interact with um, a lifestyle company or a hotel. But I, I've heard that AI is mostly going to be used as a tool to streamline some of those more mundane tasks that you have to have. So maybe like inventory management is a really good example. That's probably not a small A's favorite part of their job is making sure they have enough product, you know, behind the bar. But the in-person interactions that we still enjoy from these experiences will actually be like enhanced and heightened because you'll have more time to actually do that with your customers. Yeah, we couldn't agree more. Actually, for our listeners who want to learn more about AI, we want to recommend one of our favorite books called Impromptu. It's written by Reid Hoffman, 
He's one of the you know, LinkedIn co-founders and Reed wrote this book with GPT-4. Wow. So fascinating. Very cool. Yeah, it's definitely a great read. And uh, speaking of great reads, uh, you had a wonderful profile of uh, Helene de Tiso, uh, Pernod Ricard CFO, uh, who's led their many acquisitions of great brands like Del Maguey Mezcal. So in general, when you approach your profile stories, how do you make them unique and stand out from other profile stories? Yeah, that story was a lot of fun because that story was for a series of CFO features for Fortune. And I just felt like Pernod has been very acquisitive over the years. They've been acquiring a lot of brands. They have acquired a lot of brands in a lot of different categories. Um, they're not just this French beverage company that's been around for over 100 years. They are really expanding and, and in an interesting way. So I really wanted to dive into like that strategy. How do you bring brands on board? How do you think about expansion in different like markets or expanding, you know, adding new flavors maybe for certain brands? And um, she was very generous with her time. I actually met her in person at her office here in New York. And it just... You know, I think the PR team did a great job of like understanding, like we have a really great story to tell here. The reporter, me, was interested in it. And that's always the secret sauce that I think makes a story work is both sides working together to make the story pop. 100%. So in the coming months, what kind of stories will you be working on that our listeners can be part of? Yes, I'm really interested in broader consumer trend stories that I can pitch, especially to like an outlet like Fast Company. So probably not a specific announcement that one company may have, but maybe an upcoming announcement that ties to a broader trend that's happening in that category. So if like a, hospi a hospitality chain or a sommelier is seeing something new that's happening, maybe like a new type of champagne that's become really popular, there hasn't been a lot of coverage of it. Let's talk about that. Let's like figure out, you know, who is that consumer that's drinking it? Why has it become popular? And why should readers want to know about it and maybe want to even have that drink for the first time? Um, the espresso martini has been really popular here in New York and across the country. I want to know what is the next espresso martini? What's the next Negroni? What's the next, you know, Aperol Spritz? So really like helping highlight that to readers would be interesting if you have like a really interesting story about, you know, the non-alcoholic trend that's been going on for years, but what's the newest innovation or wave that's happening there? I'm, I want to hear more about that. You know, actually, one of the things that we've been noticing in our industry is that a lot of chefs or sommeliers are becoming bartenders. That's so cool. Yeah, we already see at least half dozen in New York City. Is happening, and I think they bring so much expertise from the kitchen, front of the house experience into bartending. So I think maybe there's something definitely we can look into. Yeah, I would love to learn more. That sounds cool. Yeah. So we believe that everyone has a story. So when people are ready to pitch you with their stories, can you share some practical tips that they should keep in mind? Yeah, I think that the headline, the subject line of the, of the pitch should be really eye-catching and interesting. If you work for a really well-known brand or a, a, like a very popular hotel or um, or you yourself are very well-known, you probably want to have that be the first word of the pitch, you know, like, because that's very eye-catching. If not, you may want to broaden it out and maybe talk about a trend in the beginning of that subject line to really get the reporter's attention, to get them to open the the 
the message. Um, a lot of reporters don't read every email they get. So you have to really like catch them with that subject line. I think the pitches shouldn't be too long, but should have all the, the relevant information. If you can include photos, if it's relevant to your announcement, you should just proactively provide that. If you're sharing, you know, cocktail tips for the holidays or um, cocktail tips for a party in the new year, you know, you want to just give all those assets to reporters so that they don't have to do maybe that follow-up email they don't want to send. Um, and then just do your research and really think about who is going to be reading this and who is that person ultimately writing for? If they're a freelancer like myself, there's a lot of different ways the story can go. If a reporter just writes for Fortune or just writes for the Wall Street Journal, you have to kind of think about who that audience is. And I think reporters, last thing I'll say, they love stats. So anything you can point to from like a Nielsen stat, um, like a bigger, larger, reputable publication, Euromonitor would be great. I think that those stats can really help you tell your story um, and kind of give more credence to what you're, you know, asserting in, in, in the pitch. How about what not to do? Um, one of my least favorite things is to get a pitch for like a feature or story idea. And then I Google the name and I see that Forbes just wrote that same story three days ago. It's like, you got to think of a new angle at that point. If you got that great feature from Forbes, amazing. You can't count on Fortune or Fast Company to write the same story. Like they're not, they don't want to do that. They want to write their own interesting stories. So um, I think, you know, that's one thing to think about. Um, I think follow ups are okay, but after a couple, you got to let it go. Um, I recently had someone pitch me an idea. I said no. Then they asked me for feedback. I gave feedback. And then he came back to me three more times to try to sell me on the story. And at that point, you, you know, I felt like I was nice enough to even give the feedback. A lot of reporters don't even do that. And I was really polite about it, you know, but I just, once that happened, it, it kind of um, was driving me a little crazy, to be honest. And some reporters, when that, when you, if you're too eager, they will block you from their inbox, like, so that you can never get in touch with them again. So you don't want to get to that point with, with them. So over the years, uh, you know, we've been very lucky to get to know you and work on a few stories together. So we feel very blessed. However, for those who don't know you yet or have don't have a relationship, working relationship as of now, what's the best way for them to get to know you and potentially being in, a, in your inner circle? Sometimes I think you have to play the long game with reporters. I remember... And I think about this from my, my days as a publicist as well. Like I, I, when I was at Chobani, I really wanted the US, uh, USA Today reporter to cover us and write about yogurt. And it took me a year to get her to do it. Like I just, I emailed her about once a month. I would send her a note sometimes and just say, I really liked the story you wrote. It wasn't even about yogurt. It was just a general story that I saw that I liked. She would always respond. And then eventually after a year, she emailed me out of the blue one day and said, John, I'm ready to write the yogurt story. Mm. So um, patience, patience. <laughs> I, I think patience works. Yeah. And like Hannah, you and I have emailed over the years. And sometimes the stories that you share are, are great ideas, but I just I just don't have the bandwidth or the editor editorial approval to write it. But we stay in touch. You share news that's relevant to what I care about. And then when I am interested, you respond really quickly. I think patience works. And I think sometimes, you know, if, if you know a reporter is based in your city, you should say like, hey, 
would love to have you come to my bar and have a drink and just hear about what you're working on and ch chat about ideas. And those ideas could be not just about what your business is doing, but just like the broader industry. Because I think sometimes if you give a reporter a really great idea, they're going to do you the, the um, they're going to give you like the hat tip and include your thoughts in the story. I, I have never had a source give me an amazing story idea and then not include them in the story at the end of the day. <laughs> so um, sometimes it might not go in the direction exactly that you want to, but it's a great first step to then maybe building that story you do want to tell later on. So basically it's the patient flexibility and look for the long-term relationship. Yeah. And I think maybe, you know, you have your list of five or 10 reporters that are like your North stars. Maybe you don't work with them all the time, but you want to, you just keep a regular cadence with them and eventually it'll work out. Great advice. Mm -hmm. I think the one of the way that we also think to build a relationship is through social media channels. So we see you on LinkedIn quite often and when you share your awesome articles. So what do you think our listeners should do more on their social media to tell your stories or getting attention you know, from someone like you? Yeah, I definitely think follow folks on you know, X or LinkedIn, add them. A lot of people will add you back, especially if it's a relevant, you know, topic that they care about as a reporter. Engage with those stories. You know, if someone shares a story, a reporter that you really like, tell them they did a great job. You know, a little flatter. Reporters do like a little flattery. They will deny that, but they like it. <laughs> we, we, we want You want to be, you know, heard and recognized yes, and seen. Yes, we all do. <laughs> to me, journalists just like us, we are all humans. So we recognize each other, we support each other, and it's a beautiful thing. I agree. And if I write a story about like the gym category and someone from a nice hotel or nice restaurant says, great story, I feel validated that someone in the industry who knows the topic liked what I wrote. Do you know what I mean? So I think that that, is, that feedback loop is important. Um, I think sometimes if you see a story that's relevant to what you care about that the reporter shares on LinkedIn or on Twitter, now X... Um, just say like, Hey, would love to like chat with you about this type of story in the future. Like you can, you can raise your hand and say, I would like to essentially be included in this kind of coverage down the road. Um, that story is probably done in that moment for that reporter. They usually move on, but, uh, it, there's never, it never hurts to, you know, try to engage with reporters, especially when they're sharing their stories online. I think with Instagram, you have to be a little careful because that's a more personal channel. So if you know the reporter well, you've maybe met them in person, I think you can engage a little bit on Instagram. But if you've never met them, you've never spoken to them, I think you have to be more of an observer on Instagram because it is, I think, a more personal channel, even for reporters who are somewhat public figures. So do you ever use social media in terms of finding sources or finding story ideas? I do. I, I go on LinkedIn, especially, and ask, because I know there's a lot of PR people on LinkedIn. So I go on LinkedIn and say, hey, I'm writing a story. I need to talk to somebody for this piece that's coming up in coming weeks. So I definitely do that. And then um, I do keep an eye on social media. And I there are certain stories that I, I'm interested in. Um, but uh, yeah, social media, I do watch. Because you also want to see what your competitors are writing about. Make sure that you're not writing a similar story or pitching a similar idea to an editor, especially as a freelancer. You want to be really mindful of the coverage that's floating around in the world. And social media helps you find that coverage. 
So let's say somebody pitched their story, and you don't think it's a good fit. So you say not at this time or no, thank you. Is there any occasion where someone else came to you the same pitch from same company, different person from same company come to you and try to convince you or try to change your mind? Does it ever happen for you to reverse your decision? Usually not in that moment. I think if it's a no, there's a reason why there's a no. It's because if you're a reporter on like a full-time reporter, you just might not have the bandwidth. When I was at Fortune, I was writing a lot of stories for the magazine. They require a lot more attention. So if I was in the middle of a magazine story, I couldn't do a ton for the website. So it really is about like, I have to spend the next two weeks focusing on this big magazine story. I can't write a story about your, you know, your bar until that gets cleared off my schedule. But sometimes later on, you know, when things like ease up or maybe you're looking for coverage for the holidays or you're looking for coverage for like a quiet period in your editorial schedule, you might resurface that email and say like, okay, now I'm ready. Um, So there is ways to turn a no into a yes. But again, I think patience is like key for that. So speaking broadly, are there any particular people or companies you think are having the greatest impact on our hospitality and travel industry and are actually moving it forward? I have been very fascinated in hospitality by this story or this trend of like, it feels that Airbnb is losing some of its competitive advantage. And we're seeing hotels, even especially like boutique hotels, really reclaim momentum. And I think that the press is starting to pay attention to that too. Um, I think people are really enjoying some of the nice services that uh, a boutique hotel can offer. Um, I've been going more to like hotel bars here in in New York. And I didn't do that when I first moved to the city, but now I love to do that because it's just like such a nice space. And there's like an ambiance of it. That's really special. The people that are walking around, everybody's in a great mood in a hotel bar. So I'm seeing that trend. I think that hotels offer, you know, they offer a really nice gym. They have amazing front desk services, uh, sometimes a great restaurant uh, program. So I think that that trend that is happening in our culture is something that I want to learn and read more about because I do think Airbnb is losing a little bit of steam. Mike and I love travel. We love staying at the hotel. And I think after the pandemic, we see a lot of hoteliers now investing in their FMB offerings. And I think a lot of people also choose the hotels based on you know, what are the restaurants? What are the bars in that hotel? And they become real, real drivers of profits. Yeah, definitely. I agree. So now moving on to a little more fun question. So what is your favorite cocktail? And if you could choose one person, who would you share it with and why? Um, so my favorite cocktail lately has been Kettle One Baco Martini Up With a Twist. I've just really I'm enjoying the martini these days. I just had one last night. It was delicious. So um, I think the martini is really speaking to me. I am enjoying an espresso martini. So if that's like a strong number two, it's a great way to start the night. I feel to have that one espresso martini and then maybe switch to another drink. Um, Who would I want to drink it with on this planet? Um, I guess I'm going to be sentimental and just say my mom. It would be nice to have a drink with my mom and catch up and like maybe like a nice hotel lobby so not not a celebrity. I guess if I was going to say a public figure, 
I think Jennifer Lawrence, the actress, would be really fun to have a drink with. <laughs> um, moving on to travel. So what country would you like to visit next and why? I think Australia has been high on my list. I haven't been there yet. It's a trip that probably you need to give yourself a couple weeks because it's such a big, beautiful country. But um, yeah, Australia is high on my list and it's, it's, I want to do it in the next couple of years. And their cocktail scene is fascinating, not to mention wine countries. Not, not to mention their coffee scene. Yeah, they, they've got it all. I've heard their coffee is excellent. I want, I want to drink a lot of flat whites while I'm there. So I think that's their, <laughs> their specialty. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah, uh, we heard great things about Australia. So, But be ready to bring a lot of books and watch movie because it's like about 23 hours of a flight. I am dreading the flight. The flight there is okay because it's like you're going to your trip. It's the flight back that is like really, I think, <laughs> painful. <laughs> so, John, what, what's the best way for our listeners to contact you? when they are ready to pitch their story. When they're ready to pitch their story. I think I have been getting a lot of great, you know, inbox um, intros through LinkedIn. So just add me on LinkedIn. My name is John Kell. And send me a note, say like, hey, I heard you on the Hospitality Forward podcast. And, you know, I have a great story idea. What's your email? And I'd love to send you some more information. And I always give my email and share it. It, when I get that inbox request. Um, and I always try to provide feedback if someone is thoughtful enough to to reach out in that way. I'm on Twitter, but pretty inactive, to be honest. I haven't been using it as much as I used to. So I think LinkedIn is the way to go. Well, John, thank you so much for chatting with us today. This was so much fun. Oh, thank you. And we are looking forward to seeing you and sharing a, a vodka martini or two. Sounds great. At a hotel bar. Yes, at a hotel bar. Let's do it. <laughs> Now that was a thought-provoking chat with John. Now that you know what John is looking for, please feel free to reach out to him and introduce yourself. And don't forget to mention that you heard him on our Hospitality Forward podcast. If you found this episode helpful, please share it with your friends and colleagues. And be sure to subscribe and review us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or wherever you get your favorite shows. Also, for all media guests to date, you can find their information and episodes on our agency's website, www.annaleecommunications.com. Stay tuned for our next episode. Until then, join us as we move hospitality forward together.